Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, The Heart of a Father. Father or a spiritual father or both, we want to honor you and pray that you continue to be a good representation of what our loving heavenly father looks like, acts like, lives like. And that really gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to fatherhood. Most of us, whether we realize it or not, we formed our image, our conception of what our heavenly father is like based on what we saw and experienced with our earthly fathers. And as I'm sure you're aware, earthly fathers, even the good ones, were not and are not perfect. Some of us had no earthly father that was there for us in our formative years. So for all of us, the answer to the question, what is our heavenly father really like, is the same. If we want to find the most complete revelation of what our heavenly father is really like, we have to go to the Word of God so we can get to know him and develop a relationship with Him, and see in the Word His character, His nature, His love, His mercy, His grace. The Bible is replete with what God's like. So if you want to know what God's like, you want to know what your heavenly Father is really like, put your nose in the Bible until you find out. And hold fast to those revelations and not painful memories that the enemy tries to use to paint a false picture of the loving Heavenly Father. And so that, in a nutshell, is what this message is all about. I call it the heart of the Father. I preached it last Father's Day, but I'm coming at a slightly different angle this Sunday this year. So I want to talk to you this morning about the heart of a father. I know it's fundamental, and you've probably heard much of this before. But I really want to drive home just how crucial the role of a father is to the stability and strength of the families of America and, yes, even the families of the world. Not only do we need good fathers in the world today, we need good godly fathers in the world today. Because in case you haven't noticed, fatherhood and the family are under attack today like never before. And it's unrelenting. And it's from all sides. You can't even sit at home and watch a commercial without your biblical worldviews being under assault by an agenda that's going a completely different direction. It's everywhere. There are forces at work in our nation today that are openly advocating the disruption, the dissolution of the nuclear family, which is by definition a family where children are raised by a father and a mother in the same home. And by the way, just so you know, that wasn't somebody else's invention. That was God's idea. And he hasn't changed his mind about the structure of the family for the families of America or the families of the world. Now, I know that it's an ideal structure, and it doesn't always work out that way, but it is God's best father, mother, children raised in a home together. Amen. You know, I myself, along with my two brothers, uh, was raised by a single mom who had to play the role of both father and mother. And she worked two jobs 
on many occasions so me and my brothers could eat, be clothed, have shelter, and go to school. Amen. And thank God, she did a great job. So even to this day, decades later, I still have an affinity for single moms. Every time I see them, I want to pray for them. I want to help them any way that I can because I know what my mother went through. Amen. Hallelujah. So getting back to the institution of the nuclear family, let me show you that in the Word. We're going to spend some time in Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 this morning, so just get used to it. We're going back to the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28, to start out with New King James Version. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me read that again. Male and female, he created them. He didn't create them and say, you decide. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If you read the Genesis account in the early chapters, you find out that God He built a planet that provided everything that Adam and Eve needed, not just to survive, but to thrive. He gave them more than enough, an abundant supply to meet their every need. In addition to that, He gave them dominion. He gave them dominion over the world and over all the critters in the world. Amen. Hallelujah. So He started out with an abundant supply caring for the children that he brought into the world. Amen? Amen. Essentially, God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to fill the world with families that will help you take dominion over planet Earth. Not so they could feel high and mighty, but to keep the devil out. Amen? But unfortunately, the devil got involved and messed things up. Genesis chapter 3 Verse 1 through 8, New King James. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. I believe this is the first half-truth uttered in the history of mankind. The serpent said to the woman, if you eat of that tree, you will not surely die. It was only half true. Amen? The devil knew the minute they took of that fruit that they would die spiritually. And eventually, they would die naturally. So he's telling Eve, you will not die naturally right away. It's a half-truth. Amen. But the real truth is, the moment they ate of that tree, their spirits died, and 900-some-odd years later, eventually, their bodies died too. Amen. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. I always get a chuckle every time I read that. I cannot imagine sewing fig leaves together to cover yourself up if you think you're naked. It just doesn't seem like it would work. Verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, this is a side issue, but it's worth going down this trail. The next time you blow it or you miss it big with God, don't run from the presence of God. Run to the presence of God. Tell Him what you've done. Come humbly and ask for mercy and forgiveness, and He will give you grace, and He will give you mercy, and He will restore you to relationship with Him. Don't run from the presence. Run to the presence. Amen. I want you to notice that in this passage, we see that after God created man and woman, he took the initiative and began to pursue a relationship with them. He came down on a regular basis and spent time with them. Amen. You know, that had to be the case because even after they had fallen to sin, verse 8 tells us, they still recognized the sound that he made when he came walking through the garden to spend time with them. They knew his voice, the sound of his footsteps, and they felt his presence. God was passionate about his family. He was intentional, to use a a buzzword. He was intentional and pursued a relationship with the children he had created, the ones he brought into the world, because he had the heart of a father. Earthly fathers should follow the lead of their heavenly father and pursue relationships with all the children that they have brought into the world. Sad to say, the world suffers today from a pandemic, dare I use the word, from a pandemic of ungodly, absent fathers. More on that in a little bit. Genesis chapter 3, we'll continue in verse 9. New King James. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Amen. So why does God ask Adam and Eve questions that he already knows the answer to? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree? What have you done? The answer is simple. He's trying to get them to come clean to come ask for forgiveness, to come ask for His mercy and His grace to be poured out on them, to be restored to relationship with the Father. He's saying, my paraphrase, let's talk about this. Tell me what you've done. Tell me what you're thinking. Let me show you what I can do to help you. This didn't take me by surprise. I saw this coming, and I had a plan before the foundation of the world 
before the creation of the universe. It says Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the universe. Amen. I had a plan. Let me tell you about my plan. I think that's what God was saying. He knew what they had done. Even after doing exactly what he told them not to do, his heart was still to draw them to himself and help them out of their dilemma. Because he had the heart of a father. If you had a daughter or a son who got into trouble with the law and he came to you for help, would you disown him? Say, you're no longer my son. You done got in trouble with the law. You reap, you're going to sow. No, a father doesn't do that. Son, daughter, I'm going to do everything I can to help you the best I can with your legal dilemma. Amen? That's the way God is. We should follow his lead. Amen. Glory to God. He has the heart of a father. You know, God's heart toward his family was not to condemn, but to restore. Amen? So he went immediately into restoration mode in order to rescue the world's first family. That's because if you could ever look into the deepest part of God's heart, you would find the heart of a loving father. And if you keep reading from Genesis chapter 3, you find out that the Father God, as I already alluded to, already had a plan for man's fall from grace. And he immediately put it in a motion to rescue his family from destruction and all the families that would come from them. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, New King James. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that word there means warfare, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God cursed the devil, and he prophesied that the day would come when the seed of the woman would crush the head of the devil. 4,000 years later, that prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus Christ defeated the devil and paid the price for the eternal redemption of all the families of the earth. Amen? Verse 16 says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now you might, in a casual reading, just pass this verse by and not realize what's significant about it. 
It says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. How many know they were better than fig leaves? Yeah, I think so. Amen. So God cursed Adam and Eve and the earth because of their sin. Even though he had to drive them out of the garden into a much more hostile environment, he was still trying to help them. He was still trying to provide for them. He made clothes for them out of animal skins. And listen, for that to happen, the blood of innocent animals had to be shed to make clothing for them, which is a type of the perfect sacrifice that was to come, Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me show you the fulfillment of that type in the New Testament, John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, obscure scripture you might be familiar with. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. I wish people would tag verse 17 onto verse 16 so people would know He's not a condemning God. He's a saving God. Amen? Again, as we saw in the beginning in Genesis, God was not looking to condemn His children, but was passionate about the restoration of His children. So much so that He gave His only begotten Son to save the world from destruction. You know, a lot of times we miss the significance of that phrase. What does that really mean? Well, let me break it down for you. God has created sons, male and female, starting with Adam. Many sons, amen? But he only had one begotten son. One son, listen to me, that was born of a woman by the seed of his word. One son that was exactly like him. And even as precious as that son was to him, he was willing to offer him up to a torturous scourging and excruciating crucifixion so that after his resurrection... He could be the firstborn of many more begotten sons and daughters. That's you and me. Amen. And all because he had the heart of a father. Shouldn't we as earthly fathers follow the example of our heavenly father? To be willing to do anything to save our families, even if it meant giving our own lives in exchange? All the good godly fathers I know will tell you that without hesitation, they would lay down their life for their family, myself included. And if we as fathers are willing to give our lives for our families, shouldn't we work hard as fathers, as protector providers to provide for their basic needs? Amen? Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 through 11 Matthew is making a contrast. Actually, Jesus is, and Matthew writes about it, a contrast between earthly fathers and heavenly fathers. It says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? It sounds like a ridiculous question. Because to a hungry child, a stone is worthless. But bread, he can eat. Amen? Even most earthly fathers wouldn't dream 
of feeding their son or their daughter a plate of stones. Verse 10 says, or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If your son or daughter is hungry, most earthly fathers aren't going to give them something that can hurt you, something that can bite back. Amen. Verse 11, if you then being evil, that means carnal, fleshly, natural, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's a contrast. He's saying, if your ordinary father, whose mind is right, wants to meet the needs of his children, how much more should your heavenly father feel the same way? How much more? How much more? So here Jesus is making the case that if earthly fathers are inclined to meet the basic physical needs of their children, how much more does your heavenly father want to meet the basic physical needs of his children? Amen? Luke 11, 11 and 13, 11 through 13 rather, Luke 11, 11 through 13, New King James, is sort of Luke's account of this same teaching that Jesus gave, and we learn some more things here. It goes beyond just meeting the physical needs of your family. An earthly father should want to meet the spiritual needs of his family. Amen? It says here in verse 11, Jesus speaking again, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Of course not. Verse 13 says, if you then, being natural fathers, being evil, carnal, natural fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. So now we're bringing in the dimension of the Spirit. Amen. Matthew's just talking about basic physical needs. Now, Luke says it includes the responsibility of a father, includes both physical and spiritual needs of his family. Amen. Amen. So again, following the model of the heavenly father, good earthly fathers will want to meet the basic physical needs of their children as well as the basic spiritual needs of their children. Amen. With that in mind, I'm going to wrap it up by sharing some statistics on the impact of fatherless homes and from a perspective that lifts up the traditional nuclear family, a father, a mother, and children that they raise together, amen. As I said earlier, that's God's best, but it doesn't always work out that way. Here's the bottom line. Even if you don't have the ideal family structure, if you trust God, he will give you the grace to raise your children right and overcome the stats that I'm about to share. So don't get in fear. Now, I got these stats from a secular source. They're a couple of years old. From the U.S. Census Bureau, hardly a spiritual outfit, okay? And whether they realize it or not, these stats illustrate the need not just for good fathers, but good godly fathers in American homes today. Now, Jesus said, don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. Isn't that what he said? So if he's overcome the world, he can enable you to overcome these stats with your children. All right. All right. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than one in four live without a father in the home. 
Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. Now, this is a secular source. They're telling us something we already know. Children who live in fatherless homes, listen to this, are four times as likely to live in poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager, more likely to have behavior problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, twice as likely to suffer infant mortality, twice as likely to suffer obesity, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to commit crime, more likely to go to prison. Wow. So with these devastating statistics in mind, let me leave you with this. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but there's going to be somebody listening to this podcast that needs to hear some of this. Fathers, set the example. Stay with and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. I'm just going to be honest with you. Every time I'm tempted to cast an eye at another woman, this is the scripture that comes up in my, my heart. Did I say Ephesians 5? I meant Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. It says, rejoice with the wife of your youth. Don't be thinking of another woman. And so that's my go-to scripture whenever I'm tempted. Father, set the example. Stay with the wife of your youth and rejoice with her. Amen. Love your families, love your wives, and love your children with the heart of the Father God. Be intentional. Pursue relationships with each of them, with your wife first and then with your children. Protect, honor, and fight for your families. Raise them in church and make it your life's priority to pass on a heritage, a spiritual legacy to your children. One that they will pass on to their children. Because the lives of future generations depend on it. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, The Heart of a Father. If you're in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for Coffee and Fellowship and 1030 for Worship and Service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.